Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We're lawyers, mothers, and co-hosts of the podcast Pantsuit Politics. We have more in common than divides us. In a world that defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely. The choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Nuance Life. We are so happy, as we always are, to be here with you. Today, we're going to tackle some questions and commemorations that have to do with different aspects of parenting. And Beth, I just thought it was so appropriate because... We're recording this early, so you can go be with your sister who just had a baby. You want to commemorate becoming an aunt? I'm so excited. As longtime listeners probably know, I have one sister. She is 12 years younger than I am. So she went to kindergarten when I went to college. And I, in my high school years, drove her to preschool and picked her up every day from preschool. So we just have a really um, special kind of different sibling relationship. And she just had her first baby, Eliza, with her husband, Patrick. And I am going to hightail it to Chicago where they live tomorrow to spend a few days basking in the glory of a baby that I get to love and I don't have to feed. And I'm really excited about it. (laughs) Um, I like being an aunt. You know, I'm an only child. I have twin half brothers, um, one of who has a son, but they live really far away. But my husband is one of five. And I remember when his brother had the first grandchild in the family or nephew, as the case may be. Oh, God, it was so fun. Sweet baby Stephen was just living the dream. There were like literally all these adults, none of which had kids, all of which had incomes. So we were just... (laughs) showering him. He got held constantly. Oh, it was so much fun. I am very, it's my first niece. My husband is an only child and I just have the one sister. So my band of possibilities here is very small. And so I am just delighted. And my girls, of course, love that her name is Eliza because they are Hamilton obsessed. So they run around going, Eliza. And it's it's (laughs) wonderful. Well, congratulations to Kimberly and congratulations to you. Thank you. So first up, We have a question, appropriately, as you're going to celebrate your sister's new birth, about family planning. Kristen wrote to us and said, in the world of things you're not taught but need guidance on, I would really appreciate hearing how your families grew. Were these intentional decisions, surprises, long journeys? Were you and your husband on the same page? I realize this will be different for each person with a uterus, but this is something I have no resources to turn to. I'm an only child, so I have no siblings to ask, and my mom had me at age 20 in her sophomore year of college. She's supportive of what I want to do, but I would like to hear from someone who had some planning involved in their family's expansion. Well, we had some planning involved, such as it is. But the first thing I will say is, I just don't know that you can totally plan all of this. I mean, my husband and I got married when I was 26, and we had Jane when I was about to turn 30. And... I thought before I met Chad that I probably would not have children. It was not the desire of my heart to always, um, always and forever to be a mother. But we got married. It was kind of the thing to do. I had settled into life a little bit. And I just 
kind of loved Chad and thought, I want to do this with him. And so we said, maybe it's about time. The conditions were not such that we had everything in life going right for us, but we felt we were in a house, we had incomes, we were paying our debt, like we were living within our means, and we thought, okay, we can do this. And I say this with sensitivity for everyone for whom this is not the case. I think I got pregnant 30 seconds later. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. immediate that that I was pregnant. And so there we were. And then I thought, we're just going to have the one baby. That was my surefire position um, until Jane turned about four. And I'm convinced that there is some kind of biological trick of the universe that when mm-hmm. the baby turns about four and can do some things alone and um, is really super cute and is developing into a little person, something in the body just goes, well, you could you could have another one. Yeah. Um, it's a scam. That's what my husband calls it. He calls yeah. it a scam. <laughs> That's right. So, so then we said, okay, maybe we can do this again. And then once again, it took not much time for us to have Ellen. Um, and I felt that trick of the universe again when Ellen turned four, but this time I knew it was a trick of the universe uh, and felt that, you know, I'm almost 40. Our cup runneth over here. Um, we are very delighted with our family as it exists. And so I'm good. Chad occasionally mentions, wouldn't it be nice to have a boy? And I always say, yeah, probably would be. And I'm yeah. done. That's the end. That's all I have to say. <laughs> That's funny that Chad would live a life and when you're in a partnership with me with three boys and think the third try would get you the opposite gender. That's adorable. <laughs> I appreciate his yeah. optimism. Um, so I am the opposite. I always wanted kids. I always wanted to be a mom. I'm an only child, but I grew up in a family, um, both on my mother's side and my father's side, where there are um, four children. So I grew up in big families. They were really the centers of our family life, um, these big families. And um, I married a man in a big family. My husband is one of five. Interestingly enough, he has had to be convinced of every child because he's always like, things are great. We have so much money. Why would we mess this up? And Kristen asked about that, you know, these kind of concerns about like being able to financially be in the right place and you know they thought they had plans and then COVID changed things and how do you ever know you know is there always going to be something that will make right now not a good time yeah absolutely if you're looking for it there's always a reason not to have a kid Uh, Donald Trump's president look that's a good reason so I think there's never a perfect time that's for sure you know I had these grand plans this is so funny you're gonna laugh so hard I thought that I would have a baby during law school like I thought that was a really good idea because I, I really wanted to be a young mom. I wanted to have my kids early because I saw my mom, like, living her best life in her 40s by the time I was in college because my mom had me when she was 25. And so I really wanted to do that. And then my best friend got pregnant as soon as we graduated from college, and I went to help her take care of her baby. And I remember holding him. He's now a giant person, like six foot four, but I held him as a baby. And I remember thinking like, oh, my God, you can't do anything until this little blob of flesh who cannot, like, has no idea what's going on, like, makes a choice to sleep or eat or whatever. And I was just like, no, I cannot. I'm not I'm not ready for this. It was like that quickly that I was like, nope, I don't want to have any kids for a while. And then just as quickly, I say it wasn't a biological clock. It was a biological light switch. Like, I woke up one day and was like, I need a baby yesterday. I needed, like— Nine months seems like an eternity. I don't even want to wait that long. Like I was just, it was like I woke up like that one day and really rearranged our life 
Um, we were living in Washington, D.C., both had jobs, lived in a third floor walk up. Clearly that wasn't going to work. Um, convinced my husband to move back to Paducah while I was pregnant with my first son, Griffin. Again, we're not we're not the team you want to come to as far as stories where there was a lot of struggle. I also had sex twice and had got pregnant both times. So got pregnant really quickly, moved back to Paducah, had Griffin, knew I wanted Definitely knew I did not want an only child. I do not enjoy being an only child at all. Didn't like it as a kid. Don't like it now. So I definitely knew I wanted more kids. Got pregnant with Amos. I thought I wanted them about two years apart. I highly endorse two years apart for what it's worth. Amos and Griffin have always gotten along really, really well. Then after Amos, I really had to convince everybody in my life that I should have another kid. Literally no one but me (laughs) was on board with the third kid. My mother and grandmother were, like, super critical. Nicholas was, like, not super excited about it. I had a miscarriage early, like, I mean, like, days, not a big deal. Had a miscarriage, got pregnant again. Um, Everybody was like, what are you doing? The people close to my life were not particularly supportive. Um, And then I lost that pregnancy at 20 weeks. And so, you know, that was the hard, that was the big wake-up hard lesson in, like, you are cute. You think you're planning all this. That's not how it works. And it was heartbreaking and it was very, very difficult. And then, of course, immediately we both wanted to try again. I tried again too soon. I'm so happy that I have Felix, but I got pregnant with Felix the month after um, I had my DNA for the lost pregnancy. So I was as pregnant with Felix, like Felix was 16 weeks, which is when the previous baby had died. On the previous baby's due date. This was not a good confluence of events. I should have planned for it. I felt like that's the closest I've ever come to a mental, like, breakdown. Um, It was awful. And But Felix came, and um, here we are. There are times, I think, that I've thought, you know, listen, I've been open about my gender uh, disappointment on the podcast before. Would I still love to have a girl? Yes. Is that going to happen? No. I'm not getting pregnant again. It was too hard on my body last time. And I've also been open up front about that. I don't want to hang out with a toddler ever again as long as I live. I don't like toddlers. We don't get along very well. So we are we are done. I'm not um, closed off to the ideas of fostering or adopting. Um, I'm more open than open to them to my husband than my husband is. Um, but I think it's yeah, it's just there is no easy answer. You plan. It's just like labor. You plan as best as you can. You tackle what comes. Um, You're never going to be in a perfect situation, but giving yourself and your partner lots of grace along this journey. (laughs) And, um, you know, I love I was listening to the chicks on a happy hour about their new album. And somebody asked, when did you record the last song? And Emily said, it's like a painting. Um, We didn't pick the last song. We just stopped. And I think that's a good analogy for family planning. Like sometimes it's not about like a hardcore plan. You just stop. You're like, okay, we're good. Um, At least that was definitely my experience. So much of this is just personality, I think, too. Mm -hmm. For me, the most helpful thing that I've had going for me, if we're talking about family planning, is that I have held it very loosely when we decided Mm -hmm. when we decided to to have a baby the first time. It was like, okay, maybe we could have a baby. You know, Mm -hmm. we'll stop actively preventing that. Uh, But it was not like. I must do this now within this window of time. 
I just didn't feel any kind of stress about it if it hadn't happened. Um, I don't know how I would have felt then, but I know that I didn't have this hardcore set of expectations. And the same thing the second time. I had no attachment to what the gender of either of my children was going to be. I have never had a vision of what kind of mother I was going to be. It's just all kind of come as it's come. And I think that has alleviated a lot of stress in my life. And I recognize that that is not how everybody is wired. And that's okay. I'm not giving you advice to be like me because so many people cannot. And that's fine and would not like aspects of being like me, right, in that way. So I am not a good person to relate to that sense of, This is the desire of my heart, and I feel pressure around a limited window, and I just want to acknowledge that. I think the most important thing, whether you are more like me or more like Sarah or have a completely different orientation of this topic, is to try to ask the real question in the conversation in your partnership. Is this really about money? Okay, then how much do you think we ought to have in the bank? Like, and you understand that once we have a child, there could be financial things that happen that we're not prepared for. Like, t- talk to me about, is it more about child care? Is it about some expectation of college? Like, what is it that is really driving this concern for you? Um, if you want to move, like, talk about what's underneath that. There are so many things that we use as sort of substitutes for what the real issue is that I think can unlock some of these conversations if we're willing to ask the more interesting question. No, I think that's right. And, I, you know, parenting becomes a very mother-focused endeavor, especially in the first um, years, just for, you know, basic biological reasons. And I think it can get lost that, like, men have expectations and men have narratives and partners that aren't, you know, even in a same-sex relationship, if the partner that's not carrying the baby, like there's just a lot of wrapped up in parenting and our expectations around it and our perspectives based on our own parenting experience, based on um, our own sort of dreams and visions for ourselves. And everybody has to have space to express that and to express their fears surrounding that or their dreams surrounding that. And, you know, there it just needs to be treated with a great deal of care. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Next up, a really beautiful compliment to the beginning of a parenting journey. Michaela wrote in to us and shared that her friend received a very special message last Sunday, and she wanted to commemorate it. She says the message was from her daughter, who she released for adoption 18 years ago. She was 18 and just finishing up her senior year of high school. She decided to give her daughter the best life she could and placed her in the arms of a loving family. My friend went on to have 
a difficult marriage and a few difficult years, but two amazing sons. One is my godson. She has since married a wonderful man and with him has a sweet, spunky little girl. She's an active member of her faith community and a beautiful person. She co-parents with her ex-husband, serves as a stepmother to her stepdaughter, and is a mentor and friend of young people in her community. Through everything, every day, she has not stopped thinking about her first daughter, the one who made her a mother, the one who gave her stretch marks, and the one she has never spoken to. Now, 18 years later, on the first day of her first daughter's 18th birthday, they began communicating. They talked for three hours on video chat and have begun to develop a relationship. She was even able to share a picture of the girl's biological father, a man she has never seen and knew nothing about. I'd like to wish them and their families happiness and love as they all become more whole. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Michaela. I think... What a beautiful way to talk about parenting and how it starts for people and how it looks so different. You know, becoming a parent um, looks as different as people look. You know, Glennon Doyle shared a beautiful reflection on Abby and being called a mom by her daughter for the first time. And step parents, you know, I had, I have an amazing stepfather um, who has definitely been a surrogate parent for me and a, um, you know, a stepmother who's now an ex-wife to my father, but not an ex-stepmother to me. Um, and I just think in a world where sometimes it feels like we talk about caring about children, but we don't see those choices reflective in sort of national policy to remember that there are people out there every day, um, making hard choices and stepping up for the children in their lives and building those relationships um, on a million different levels is just, it gives me great hope. And it, because it's both heartbreaking and life-giving. And I just think that that's beautiful. That's what families are. That's what all love is, right? Heartbreaking and Mm -hmm. life-giving and ever-changing and out of our control in so many different ways. We've been talking about Kamala Harris on Pantsy Politics, and I love the story of her second mother and how she refers to this woman that way and how she has the confidence to do that because she has such a beautiful relationship with her mother and um, that she just so was influenced by her mother. And it took nothing away from her mother to say that she had a second mother who taught her a whole um, slew of other life lessons that she carries with her and that nurtured her. And I love the idea of all of us having multiple mothers and fathers and surrounding ourselves in whatever kind of matrix of relationship it is um, by people who are contributing to our development and who are touching us and creating experiences and opportunities. And what a testament to everyone in this situation, the daughter, the family the daughter has been with, the mother, for this beautiful relationship to be able to take on a different chapter as she turns 18. I mean, just so much credit to everyone here. Mm -hmm. Well, and I just think in adoption, it's so powerful and healing um, for a child to hear, I loved you, but I could not take care of you. I loved you, but I could not take care of you. And I think I really wish we had more space in our society and our culture to give caregivers of all stripes just the space to say, I cannot do this right now. I need help. I mean, all the way from like adoption to just basically mothers asking for help. 
I don't think we leave a lot of space um, or we give a lot of grace when people say, I love you, but I can't do for you right now because, you know, it becomes loving is doing. And in many ways, that's true. But sometimes loving can look like I, I have to acknowledge I can't do right now because to try and to come up short is its own kind of trauma and heartbreak. And I wish we gave people space to acknowledge where that's not available to them and to let, you know, not to be trite, but it does take a village and to let the village to step up instead of just compounding the pressure on individual caregivers. I was talking to friends this morning about this very thing. And my friend Karen had the most genius idea. Like when we need that support, when we just cannot, we just text each other snow day. No other explanation mm. needed. It's just a snow day on my mothering, on my parenting, on my contribution to our little group here. And somebody else mm-hmm. is going to have to step in. And I think we should all adopt that as our code language. Like, you don't have to tell me. Like, you don't have to have a sufficient level of fatigue or grief or yeah. sadness or obligation. You just say snow day. Cool. Everybody else is going to jump in now. Well, but we have to let ourselves take the snow day. Like, I think one of the best things I've ever heard is Brene Brown saying, if you never ask for help, you are never giving it with an open heart. If you never ask for help, then secretly you think that's a thing nobody should need. And if you're always pushing through your exhaustion and your resentment and never asking for help, then you're really never helping with an open heart because you secretly resent that somebody else asks when you don't feel like you can. And I think as women and as caregivers of all stripes, we really need to hear that. We need to hear that if you want to be a person who helps, you have to ask for help sometimes. You have to be able to say snow day and not worry that your reason isn't good enough or that people have it harder. So how dare you ask for help or you know, and this is a thing I've, I've had it out and about with my own mother who will say things like, well, I would never have asked my mother for that. Well, I'm sorry, but I am asking you. Um, you can say no, but I am going to ask and I don't think I should feel shame for asking. And I think like we just have so far to go on that. Having lived that journey, <laughs> I, I think it's true. And I think a couple of years ago, I would have resented the implication that I wasn't giving help with a totally open heart. But I think I didn't know what that could look like once I found the capacity mm. to ask for more help. And also once I found the capacity to sometimes say, I'm sorry, I cannot help here. Yeah. Because when you say yes every time, that also ultimately breeds some resentment that I just don't want in my life. Mm-hmm. And so I'm... I'm so much happier now that I understand what a gracious no can mean for a relationship than when I was always a yes person in a relationship. No, I think that's that is. Listen, that's genius right there. Let's emphasize that because the reverse is also true. Not only if you never ask for help, you're never giving help with an open heart. But if you never say no, then you also really can't accept no. That's what I have really a lot of trouble conveying to people about my own my own self. It's like, if you tell me no, I'm really not mad about it because I say no. And I say no not because I'm mad at the other person or because there's some sort of resentment. I say no just because the answer for me right now is no, I can't do it. And like, it's a struggle of my life to convey like, I don't understand why other people can't just be so 
detached. Like, I might argue. That's, I think that's the problem is, like, I'll be like, I'll, I might want an explanation. <laughs> I might have questions. But I'm never mad because I say no. So I can't be mad at somebody for telling me no. It's like the reverse of that. It's it's literally like the flip side, the paradox of the help. You have to be able to say no, too. That's right. And I just think when you learn to say no, whether it's for a, quote, good reason or not, it just releases all kinds of gunk that gets in the way of good relationships. I feel mm-hmm. so much more loved and connected now that I say no quite a lot uh, than mm-hmm. I did when I tried to spread myself like peanut butter among every person in my life with any level of need. And I'm not keeping score on anybody else. I don't care if things are done fairly. I don't care who brings what dish to the potluck. I don't care who asks for help more than somebody else. I truly do not care now because Mm -hmm. I feel confident enough to ask for what I need and to bow out when I need to bow out. And it's it is a transformative thing that took me close to 40 years uh, to start to get the hang of. But better late than never. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, before we wrap up, we do want to share another very, I mean, truly, arguably essential part of Michaela's message. Michaela wants us all to know that Baskin Robbins has an ice cream cookie cake collection and you can door dash it to deliver them as gifts to friends. She said, my friend sent me one the other day before the birth of my son. I sent one to my friend as she was finishing grad school. What? Amazing. News you can use. (laughs) Thank you, Michaela. You have blessed us today. You have, Michaela. Good job. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Nuance Life. We will be back in your ears on Friday over at Pantsuit Politics talking about the Democratic National Convention. We hope to see you there. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces The Nuance Life. Elise Knapp is our managing director. The Nuance Life is listener-supported. Go to patreon.com slash thenuancelife. For $5 each month, you'll receive an entire bonus episode of The Nuance Life. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Dylan Garvin is the composer and performer of our ad music. For more information about The Nuance Life and to connect with us through our weekly email, visit pantsuitpoliticsshow.com.